You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 76, Hughes Thrall, and coming to you from the crisp autumn suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from suburbs of Providence, John Pizza Strips Matola. <laughs> pizza Strips. What did like, oh, like Italian, like the, yeah, like the pizza, like the flat pizza, like the Italian, my, my family calls it Italian. If I'm thinking of the same thing, they call it Italian pizza. Right. Or, um, which is kind of redundant. Cheeseless pizza or red sauce pizza or whatever. It's, uh, it's regional, like everybody that uh, regional just to Rhode Island, apparently like nobody, Mm -hmm. anybody that's not from here is, is like just baffled by it because you don't get it in pizzerias. You buy it in bakeries and it's just room temperature pizza. It's just like like a pizza crust with, with red sauce on it. And that's, that's it. Yeah. Pizza strips. And then it cut into long strips and uh, they have like party packs of it. And um, right. yeah, people seem to think it's weird, but it's a, I was thinking it was a great snack. Oh, it's fantastic. My wife is obsessed with it. Anytime we go to visit, like that's like a must we have to get them. I'm trying to think of the, there's a couple of bakeries that do them and that, and uh, I can't remember what's the one we normally get it from, but yeah, it's just deeper thrillos. Yeah, that that's might be one, it. That's I the mean. one that's famous, Deep Petrillos. Yeah, it's but great. I mean, you it's, know, when he, it sounds kind of like it doesn't sound amazing by the, by the when you just say the description of it, but it's really, really delicious. Yeah, just dumping some red sauce on bread, and there you go, eat it. You know, but no, it is. It's really. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's one of those things that it's like no self-respecting uh, Rhode Island bakery is not going to have it. So yeah, any um, Italian bakery is going to have that in Rhode Island. It's it's fantastic yeah, stuff. I mean, I mean, it, it's more of like a, yeah, I guess it's, it's like a finger food type of thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the, you know, your, you know, pizzeria style, like a thin crust, cold fire, like a neighborhood pizza joint with all the bubbling cheese, Chicago deep dish, like love all of it. Yep. You know, uh, not, you know, that's totally in a different league, but uh, this, yeah, this people other get stuff, all bent out of like, shape about deep dish pizza or like like people around here too. even like I'm in deep dish pizza land. But people, you know, really? people get, oh, New York doesn't have good pizza. New York's like, eh, Chicago doesn't have good pizza. I'm like, it's all pizza. What the hell's wrong with you? It's all delicious. Yeah, yeah I haven't had a deep dish pizza in a long time. If I when I come to visit you, we're going to have one. yeah, come come visit me. We'll take good, good care of you. There's, there's, there's yeah, no shortage of to, options. Yeah, the only one I've known is like Pizzeria Uno, which I mean, there's got to be some self-respecting, much better pizzeria around there that does it local. I mean, God, I haven't had Pizzeria Uno in so long, maybe close to 20 years. Um, But I I don't remember having any problems with it. You know, it's pretty good stuff. You know, speaking of food. Yeah, but you know, it's food and beverage. I'm going to crack open this. uh, It's Oktoberfest. And like we always do on the Deep Purple podcast, at least we did last year, we're going to enjoy this the Iyengar Oktoberfest Marzen in my traditional Stein nice. glass because, uh, well, I guess it's not really a traditional Stein glass. It's just a mug. But um, yeah, this is like one of my uh, my go-tos, my favorite thing about this time of year. It's my uh, father-in-law's favorite beer, so I always buy like an entire case and share it with him. And uh, cheers. 
Ah, fantastic. So refreshing. Such a great thing to have on a on a late night after getting the kids to bed. Just relax with yeah, this nice uh, malty little, beverage. Yeah, getting a little getting a little cool over here too. It's a it's a brisk sixty nine degrees. Oh wow. <laughs> Oh, it's downright. Yeah, it was actually, downright chilly here today. It's um, 61 yeah. and it's getting down in the 50s. So, wow. Of course, as we record yeah, this, it's, yeah. that's a little fall more is, shocking. But yeah, fall is fall, fall is coming. Fall? I mean, technically, it's still summer for like I don't know another few weeks or whatever. But by the time this episode gets weather. to you, we'll be in the full midst of the of Oktoberfest season and the the fall and pumpkin spice things and all that nonsense. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if it's still a thing with COVID and, you know. Yeah, that's just, just the. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> don't I mean everybody need... thinks that, like, the virus is going to, like, cancel everything. No, there's no pumpkin or apple anything this year. It's a, why? Because COVID. Like, yeah, you can't have anything okay. pumpkin spice while there's a pandemic. I mean, this is just to think how long this is going on. Everyone in America seems to think, like, it's two weeks away at all times so it's, ah, i know two weeks everything will be back to normal here we are six months later everything still is absolutely shit <laughs> give, it, give it another two weeks yeah it'd be totally fine sure um so yeah if sure, you want to help you know <laughs> if you want to help support <laughs> if you want to help support this show please Please do so. You can do so by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or donating and becoming a patron on Patreon or in PayPal. And coming to you this week, woo, what a list we've got at the $25 Super Trooper tier. Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and all the worlds of stage.net. At the $20 Shades of Deep Pockets tier, Ryan M. At the $15 Highball Shooter tier, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg. The turn it up to $11 tier remains vacant, as well as the $10 someone came tier. We're back to the no one came tier for that one. The $6.66 tier. Was that the episode 666 tier? I think we were going to call that. Richard Fusey via PayPal. At the $5 money lender tier. Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Mike Knowles, John Convery, Arthur Smith, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Fielding Fowler, and... Hey, Kenny Wymore, a brand new patron. Thank you, Kenny. Welcome to the Hall of Heroes. At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, Peter Gardeau, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Anton Glaving, and Will Porter. And at the $1 made up name tier, Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Cadaverous Leaky Mausoleum, and of course, Michael Vader. Thank you very much for supporting our show. And that man, that $5 tier is getting out of control. I know, right? Incredible. Thank you very much for all yeah, of our $5 soon, patrons. Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty soon we're going to like, I, I feel like the list is getting so long. Pretty soon you're going to have to be like, you know what? We we can't read it anymore. Just like look it up, look it up, look it up in the show notes. Yeah, go to deeppurple.com slash patrons for a full patron listing. Um, yeah, we could only be we could only be so lucky to have those problems. Um, all yeah. right. And uh, speaking of Apple podcast reviews, we've got a very simple review here. Uh, the latest review from right in the meme out five stars. The headline is yeah, yeah, yeah. the best. 
and the description is one of the best podcasts to exist. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wait, that's it? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Short and to the point. And right in the meme wow. out, of course, is, wow. a, a, is a follower on Instagram. It's um, you should really follow them. It's Ryden, R-I-D-I-N, underscore the, underscore meme, underscore out. And they have, we've shared some of their memes before on social media and on the show. Just, they, they come up with a lot of really funny, deep purple related memes. Uh, and it's. Was that, um, was that come taste the memes? Come taste the memes is, I believe, related, but, uh, I don't know exactly. I, I don't, I think it's a couple of people that do it. Let me see. Come taste. Yeah. Come to, there's come taste Mm -hmm. the memes as well. Um, Mm-hmm. I think they're related, but I don't know for sure. Let's see here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But any at any at any rate, they they post some really good deep purple memes. So yeah. check them out. Thank you, riding the memes out. We cool. appreciate that. All right. Well, this week, what are we here to discuss, John? Use thrall. Mm-hmm. You're not wearing your mask. Your little mask from the cover. Like like a like a like a tiger mask <laughs> or a. Well, I guess we'll get into that when we get into the album cover. There's lots of interesting masks. I don't have that. The only mask that I'm wearing is the the one over my face when I go out of the house. Yes, this is, yeah, exactly. And all day at work. So it's very nice to, uh, it's always nice to, yeah. the best part is like getting out of work, getting into my car and taking the mask off and just being like, ah, oh, most re- relaxing nice, part of my day. Nice cleansing breath. Yes. <laughs> Not having to smell my own stinky breath all day. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've, I've determined the fog up like all in front of my face. The certain things not to eat, like anything with garlic in it. Just like, no, this is not a good scene. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're here to talk about Hughes Thrall. Mm -hmm. And um, man, Hughes Thrall is one of those albums where you, you know, some some of the albums we review and talk about have very little information on them. And you'd think Hughes Thrall would be in that category. But man, there's so much information out there about this album. And mostly in part to the fact really? that they've got a great uh, website for it. I think it's, it's called just HughesThrall.com. Um, something like that. Um, I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes to all this information. But yes, tons of great information and pictures and all sorts of stuff on the website. And then the re-released CD version of the album has a ton of great interviews the liner notes for this is written by Jeff Three Stars Barton, as we used to call him, uh, the record reviewer, and he's got a lot of really, really great information in there about um, uh, about the album, the process, and and interviews. So definitely check it out. So we haven't talked about Husey in a while. I think the last time we left him, uh, it must have been a Trapeze album, right? Well, I guess we did the Trapeze album fairly, I think so yeah, fairly recently. It was a Trapeze album, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but but I guess we left him with play with chronologically. We left him with play me out, and that was uh, about five years before this album, right? And he spent a lot of time basically between that album and this album, uh, in a kind of in, involved in some heavy drug use, feeling uninspired still grieving Tommy Boland's death and just not really doing a heck of a lot other than just kind of hanging out in, in, in California and 
I guess, waiting for the next thing to happen. Um, there had been a brief trapeze reunion. Hughes had done vocals on a couple of the tracks on one of their releases as well in 1975. Um, so they did a small tour and uh, it just didn't really kind of work out after he left Deep Purple. And then he got together with the trio of of uh, of trapeze and did a few of the songs for play me out. Uh, well, a couple of the songs, LA cut off and space high were kind of recorded with that group of, uh, three for that, for that solo album. And then, like I said, he just kind of went into almost faded away into obscurity. Um, Mel Galley says about Hughes, he wasn't in a good state of mind at the time, suggesting that, uh, he says, if we could have carried the electricity of those shows on, meaning the shows that they got together with Hughes, with we could have had we could have known no bounds and then tony perry trapeze's manager says about hughes he had major problems at the time it was very difficult to deal with and that's kind of why he was uh, kind of just the, the tour that they tried to get together with him joining rejoining trapeze just kind of fell apart um mm. uh in hughes's bio on the hughes thrall site um he states about his time after play me out he says shortly thereafter Hugh. uh Hughes settled in Los Angeles where you could write, relax and wait for the moment to jump back in. So if you read the PR stuff around Hughes and thrall, they kind of make it just sound like, uh, Hughes was just in a bathrobe by the pool, sipping, uh, you know, sipping gently from a glass of wine, just waiting for the right opportunity to come by. But I think reading his, his book and his, his biography and all other accounts, it sounds like he was going through some pretty tough stuff before he jumped into this. Um, and then you can read in the notes in here, Hughes says, I'd been bored to death for five years. So, yes, thank God the formation of Hughes Thrall came about. Um, he says, when Tommy died, it was difficult for me. I was still in my dark period from March or April 1976 when Purple broke up to August 1981 when Hughes Thrall began to take shape. I was definitely just hanging out rather than working that five year period. I hate to use the word hiatus, but that's what it was. I wasn't interested in doing very much at all. Um so like you said, he he kind of fell off the, the radar. He got together with uh, uh, Ray Gomez, who was a fusion guitarist and R&B soul star, Narada Michael Walden. Um, th- there was a trio. They were supposed to be signed uh, to Atlantic, but Gomez opted to take a solo deal instead. And then Hughes uh, continued to work with Gomez a little bit, but keeping his eyes open. Um, so... He says, Hugh says, at the beginning of the 80s, I went to see Def Leppard open for Pat Travers at the Santa Monica, uh, at Santa Monica Civic. It was Travers together with Mars Cowling on bass, Tommy Aldridge on drums and Pat Thrall. All I saw firsthand was what Travers was talking about when he told me, you've got to see this new guitar player, Pat Thrall. The two were sharing lead guitar duties. Immediately after the show, I said to Pat Thrall, do you want to form a band with me? Because I just loved what he was doing. Um, and then I enjoy doing things that are totally outside the box, particularly after the experience playing with Tommy Bolin, which was total fusion in some respects. I've always wanted to work with people who are a little on the edge, a little different. And when we put Hughes Thrall together, we immediately had all these amazing signatures, this great sound as a trio drums being supplied by varying cast, including uh, Gary Ferguson, Gary Malaber, Peter Schles and Frankie Benali. Uh, we sounded huge. Pat had his synthesizer guitar back then, and we had an amazing depth to pull from. We wrote a lot of material, and we were in pre-production for maybe six months before we went to the studio. Um, and then coming from Thrall's 
standpoint. He says, I was aware of Glenn from Deep Purple, but the first time I really heard him was hanging out with Pat Travers and he put on the Play Me Out album. Travers plays on it and he was very proud to be part of Glenn's record. I was hugely, hugely impressed by Play Me Out. And at that point, I thought, great, I'm, uh, I'm starting out with Travers now, but at some point I'm going to be playing with Glenn Hughes. Um, Thrall, however, remembers the events leading up to the formation of Hughes a little differently. He said, after I left Travers band, I got in touch with Glenn to see what he was doing. And he said, I've already got something going with Ray Gomez. So I went up to San Francisco Bay area where my family is and where I grew up. And I started a band with my brother about four months later, I got a call from foreigners manager, Bud Prager. And he said he was concerned because it wasn't working out with Glenn and Gomez. Apparently, if Prager had invested a lot of his own money into the project and it wasn't going anywhere, Prager knew Glenn had expressed an interest in working with me, but I thought his approach, meaning Prager, was kind of disrespectful. He wanted me to haul my ass down to L.A. and spend a lot of my own money on rehearsal studios, demos, and such like. Prager implied that in the unlikely event things working out between me and Glenn, if I was lucky, he might take us on. So that's take the take from Pat. Um, uh Pat Thrall had uh, started in a band called Go with Steve Winwood. Uh, so there's a connection to the Spencer Davis group and Ray Fenwick there, being uh, Steve Winwood's background. And uh, the band also included Michael Shreve. And uh, the two of them formed another project called Automatic Man, which has like, do you know Automatic Man? No? No. They've, they've got like, a, uh, like an alien head logo, I know, because Pat thrall on twitter his his little picture is like of that alien head from the automatic man so i've listened to a little of the stuff it's pretty cool i don't think i've heard of him no so thrall did a lot of studio work and eventually this got him the job with pat travers band um and they had a uh he did three albums heat in the street go for what you know and crash and burn and the last album had the hit song snorting whiskey and drinking cocaine co-written by thralls and travers great song <laughs> Do you know it? Yeah. I don't know that one. <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's a great song. I love the title. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I actually I first heard it um in the movie I think it was Sideways. Which oh, was that, that isn't that um, that wine movie? Yeah, yeah, the movie about the 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 two guys that you know, the the concept was them kind of taking like a like a boy's trip and uh, going yeah. wine tasting and stuff which and he, was kind of a and he hates uh, the, he, one of the what is it doesn't yeah, he hate guy, um, like Merlot? both of the guys are like a mess you know yeah well that, yeah that was that was one scene that was made famous where he's just like no fucking Merlot, you know yeah. i won't drink it but um that's the only like thing the, i know about it guy is like, i just know and, <laughs> yeah i know people hate Merlot because of it <laughs> yeah the, but uh, the one guy is like the, the 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 wine snob guy is a writer and a and a drunk, and the other guy is a real womanizer. And um, there's a scene where one of them has to go back into um, he had basically like um, went home with this woman, and her boyfriend, you know, found out, and um, you know, I can't remember if he chased him out of the house or whatever, but he left uh, his keys or his wallet there or whatever, so he had to sneak back in and get it while the boyfriend and the woman were there. And while they were um, in like in their room, like, and she was, you know, proving to her boyfriend that she was still into him by them. Like, uh, you know, getting really nasty. Uh, that song was playing in the background uh, oh, okay. the whole time. So you can tell it was a real wild, you know, session going on there. And then, you know, 
chaos ensues when he tries the guy tries to get his thing back, uh, his wallet. But uh, anyways, the the whole point of that was is that you know that's where I first heard the song, and I'm almost like, oh man, who's this? Because it's a real rocking, like wild track. It's really awesome. I'm gonna have to check it out. I highly recommend. Never highly uh, recommend. Never heard it. Um, so yeah, Pat, Pat Travers had also gotten, um, noticed, uh, he won the best new talent award in 1980 at the guitar player magazine. I think that's like, I think that's that same, uh, I might've been Eddie Van Halen won that maybe the year before that, or the, or that might've been best new player. I'm not sure, but, um, I know Eddie Van Halen had won some stuff in that magazine too. So, um, so he was kind of the, the, the hot new guitarist and Hughes had a, you know, Hughes had played with Blackmore and Bolin and, you know, wanted to play with another, uh, guy of that caliber. So talking about the personnel involved in this album, of course, we have none other than Frankie Benali who recently passed away very sadly. Um, he had been with quiet riot, Billy Idol and wasp your band. Your band that you like to take the uh, cassette to religion class for. Then we've got also <laughs> on drums Gary Ferguson, who uh, who had worked with Billy Preston in Quiet Riot. So it's interesting. Billy, I love Billy Preston. Um, interested, interesting to see a drummer um, of that background. And then we have Gary Malaber also on some of the drums. He had worked with Van Morrison, Steve Miller Bland, band, Steve Miller Band, not Bland. Uh, well, maybe Bland, depending on your tastes. And Eddie Money. And then mm. on guitar and guitar synthesizer, Pat Thrall. I always get Pat Thrall confused with Pat Travers, um, probably just because they're both Pats with the T name. So like always seeing them, I always yeah. just like, and they were in the band together. So it's like always just confusing to me. And then mm-hmm. Pat Travers played on Play Me Out and Pat Thrall played with Hughes Thrall. So I'm always just like, I will never be able to get the, those two straight. And I apologize for that. I'm probably going to make mistakes on this episode. Um, so, uh, Pat Thrall kind of did a lot of it, a lot of stuff like we talked about. He was a jack of all trades. He did, uh, vocals, guitar production. He, um, played guitar with a band called cooking mama, which is funny. Cause there's like a old Nintendo game that my kids used to love to play called cooking mama, where you just like chop up vegetables and make recipes and stuff. Um, he was in that band with his mm. brother Preston Thrall on drums. He was, of course, in the Pat Travers brand, band, um, Automatic Man that we talked about. He played with Asia and Meatloaf as well. And he was on, this is much later than this, but he was on the Glenn Hughes solo album Feel. He also played bass on the Joe Satriani album Engines of Creation. And he worked with Stevie Wonder and Celine Dion. He was also known as being an early adopter of Pro Tools, which almost every... Um, Everybody uses these days for production, um, big uh, promoter of Pro Tools. And this is very interesting. So this is probably the Pat Thrall work I'm the most familiar with. So he worked with Demi Lovato on her version of Let It Go from the Frozen soundtrack. And I've probably heard that song, I don't know, 300 times (laughs) at least, maybe more, between my kids watching the movie and my daughter used to like to listen to that soundtrack as she went to bed. So like... um, I'm very, that's the <laughs> Pat Thrall work that I am the most well-versed in and familiar with. Oh, Love his work oh on the Frozen soundtrack. We'll have to do an offshoot Seems episode. Jack of all trades here. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to, we'll I'll do an offshoot episode where we just talk about his work on the Frozen soundtrack. On um, keyboards, we got Peter Schles, who had worked with Dr. John, Kenny Loggins, and Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne, of course, the brother of... 
Do you know Clay Osborne? No. Famous Rhode Island. I think he's from Rhode Island. They must both be from Rhode Island. But Clay Osborne um, used to uh, sing at the restaurant that I used to work at. Um, he used to every single um, Saturday night. He used to uh, he used to sing. Yeah, he's from um, he's a Providence native. So I'm sure Jeffrey Osborne must be, too. But, yeah, he used to come to my restaurant every um, at once a week or whatever and sing. And he, man, he had a huge following. Everyone just come and listen to him sing. Um, so interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it on vocals and bass. Obviously, Glenn Hughes and everything on this album is written by Hughes and Thrall, except for one song. So then we have, of course, the artwork, much discussed artwork of Hughes Thrall. And here it is. Hughes Thrall. John, what do you think about this album cover? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I I didn't know what to make of it when I first got it because I had gotten this, um, you know, when I was got into the Deep Purple family tree. So back when we were younger, you know, high school, college, whatever. I mean, yeah, probably high school. Um, but uh, yeah, I heard that this was like this this killer album, you know, because it was like. I mean, I'd never heard of Pat Thrall before, so I was just like, you know, Glenn Hughes and this Titan guitar player, like, they got together and made this, like, super group album, you know, type of vibe. So, um, yeah, I always thought it was kind of intriguing because obviously you got, like, you know, the top right mask is Glenn Hughes there, and then the middle, I'm left, I mean, and the top, the middle right one is obviously Pat Thrall's face, and then you know, all the other ones are just these kind of striking images, like a, you know, the, the tiger and this Mardi Gras mask and like this horror looking mask. And then this other one looks like either like a iron Eagle or an iguana or something like that. But it looks, uh, doesn't look like that. I don't know what it cover means. Of that, like, uh, it's like a Judas priest album. I'm thinking of like, there's a, that, that looks like that bottom right mask would fit in on which album am I thinking of? Oh Yeah. Ugh, I can't think of the, the name of it, but um, it looks like it would be on. I mean, home who knows? The- I mean, they have a lot of iconic albums, you know, with like um, in the beginning of their career. Like, um, I'm trying to think of the um, what was the one like? Um, was it Screaming for Vengeance with the Eagle? Maybe? Yeah, it just yeah, it looks like kind of like it would be like yeah, it kind of looks like that Eagle almost. Although they have a lot now yeah, that I'm looking, their or, album um, covers. Judas Priest has a lot of album covers. This looks like it would belong to also yeah. the motorcycle, crazy motorcycle yeah. on Painkiller, and a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I always thought it was uh, a striking type of album cover. Like it was just, um, I don't know, because it looks like a bunch of like cutouts. You know, like somebody had cut out a bunch of masks and laid them out. But there was always something really kind of. Uh, intriguing about it uh i mean the i never really like studied it you know but looking at the logo now it's pretty cool because you have that kind of you know almost looks like a uh like a hood ornament or belt buckle the gold like hughes thrall you know it looks kind of like this yeah yeah this metal like hood ornament type thing you know it's pretty neat and um yeah the album's like really colorful the cover is really like kind of colorful and um interesting so um badass almost so yeah 
Yeah, it's an interesting cover for sure. Um, it was designed by mm-hmm. a lot of people who were involved behind this album cover, including Steve Carver, who'd worked with Kansas and uh, Rufus with Shaka Khan and the Beach Boys, uh, Matt Mahurin, who worked for Tom Waits, Tracy Chapman, Peter Gabriel, John Likes, who did the album art for Sun Ra and Doc Severinsen, Earl Kelleny, who is the only credit for this one. So this must have been like an agency or something that, that did this. Nick Taggart, who did Loggins Messina, Richard hmm. Pryor, Bernadette Peters, John Hyatt, Andy Zito, who did art for other artists, um, a few other artists in the music business. And then the lettering was done by Margot Nahas, who worked for um, Stevie Wonder, Toto, Van H- and also did uh, work on Van Halen's 1984 album cover. Um, some interesting stuff from the liner hmm. notes about this album cover um uh it says uh nevertheless the promo photos that accompanied the release of hughes throw in 1982 showed that the duo uh not as rattled rockers but as remarkably healthy and fresh-faced individuals even though they also looked like cheesy extras out of a soap opera dynasty and by that they're talking about uh this picture on the back which is kind of glenn Ah. hughes glenn hughes in like a sleeveless shirt with a yellow stripe a white stripe a red stripe and maybe a blue stripe um I swear I, I had that. I swear I wore that exact same shirt in my kindergarten photos. <laughs> like I can feel yeah, the texture of the uh, shirt. Like it has like kind of like a slight velvet kind of feel to it. Yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, I wasn't used to this. This Glenn Hughes, like when I saw this picture, I was just like, OK, this is like this is like early 80s Glenn Hughes. You know, he's got the the shorter kind of swept back almost mullet hairdo Mm -hmm. like a proto mullet Um, you know far cry from his like yeah parted you know really long 70s hair and now he's all like you know he's all like new wave and everything with like the striped like sleeveless shirt and then you got you know pat thrall who still has the you know the friggin sean cassidy haircut so that's still a little bit (laughs) throwback to the 70s uh And then, but then like this, like leather jazz speaking, speaking of Judas Priest, like this jacket that Rob Alford could have been wearing. But, uh, I mean, these guys definitely looked like, like eighties pop or just eighties music. Like this, this picture personifies like an eighties look, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. But, um, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool though. I never, I never hated it. I was just like, I was kind of taken aback by Hughes because the only Hughes that I knew was from Deep Purple. So he went almost from like, you know, that really 70s looking guy to an extremely 80s looking guy. So um, Thrall says about this, um, those pictures were very much of their time. I guess we were trying to look as good as we could, but believe me, we were not living a very healthy lifestyle. And we haven't even talked about Thrall. He's just shirtless with the leather jacket that's gotta be so uncomfortable wearing like a leather jacket with no shirt on underneath like he's just showing a little chest hair mm. he's he's got a you know a, a, like a, a more toned down or less voluminous hairdo than than hughes but same same kind of borderline mullet sort of situation um he says uh uh hugh says i was really healthy when we started the Hughes Thrall project and I lost a lot of weight. I was very California looking, but unfortunately it didn't last. Then going back to the album cover, Thrall says it's one of the worst in the history of rock. 
They gave us two choices. The other choice was a scantily clad woman riding on the back of a dinosaur. They said, which do you want, the mask or the dinosaur? (laughs) We said, I guess we're going to have to go with the stupid masks. If you ever saw the video for Look in Your Eyes, the Look in Your Eyes, haha, the director had everyone holding up those damn masks. It's awful. So I think, uh, I don't know, I think he's being too hard on the album cover. I think it's pretty cool. Saying it's one of the, the yeah, stupidest I mean, or worst in rock history is a little pushing it, I think. Well, I mean, I think one of the worst in rock history would have been if it were the, the, the what is it, the naked woman on a dinosaur. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to see it. Like, what you know, what did it look like? What to you know? I don't know how it. It, it sounds bad, <laughs> but. I mean, I, I guess it couldn't have been any like more cheeky than like you know the Love Hunter with the nude woman straddling a huge snake, but you know. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean, as what whatever you want to say about how tasteful that is, which is not very tasteful. It's a very well executed album cover. It looks really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and it made sense too for White yeah, Snake. Of course, but, I mean, yeah. A woman on a dinosaur, like huge thrall, and you'd be like, ah. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, this at least makes more sense because you got their faces as part of the mask. In in so. some, yeah, in, to some degree, anyway. Well, if anyone does have a copy of the dinosaur um, woman riding a dinosaur album cover, please let us know. Send us an email or whatever, and we would love to see it. But I suspect it's probably not out there. Um, then you've also got like this kind of photo shoot, which is Hughes and Thrall in the same getups with looks like Hughes is wearing some like mint green jogging pants or, or like like <laughs> r- running pants or something from a tracksuit. And then Frankie Benali's kind of hanging out in between them. And then the funny thing I think about this oh. is there's this promo image that's released as Hughes Thrall. And it's got a black and white image of Hughes, black and white image of a Thrall, Thrall. And there's this big black void in the middle and then they released like a second or a follow-up promo image which is clearly the same exact photo but they flipped it around and just photoshopped in uh uh frankie benali kind of hiding in between them <laughs> it's very like so if you oh look at oh my god this is you could see that they they, they put in frankie benali yeah. and then they were like they probably put him in and they were like you know what it's it looks too much like that other one let's just flip the image no one will ever know um, that's got like a huge. Yeah, I mean this. It, <laughs> this is like, I, I, oh man, I don't even know what to say about this. It looks like, first of all, it looks like Frankie Benali's going in for like a to to friggin' kiss like Pat Thrall. Yeah, like he's just and gonna give him a tender a little smooch Hughes over there. <laughs> yeah, give him a little tender kiss, and then you have like Hughes, like you know, with his best like you know bedroom eyes, like uh, looking at the camera, and he looks just like friggin' George Michael. He does, he, and he had a <laughs> he had picture. a phase like a few phases actually where he did, looked very George Michaelish. I feel I feel like when he was in Black Sabbath, he had the, like the ultimate George Michael look going on. He had like the 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 stubble and the oh, sunglasses. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is like Wham era yeah, Michael, but, um, George Michael. Now and I mean this angle too, like you can like Thrall's haircut is like terrible it's, it's like good. it's way too short on the top <laughs> it's like i don't know and then but why is frankie banala like is he like a big part of this album like was he considered like part of the core group or like why was he part of these photo sessions 
I mean, I think he was probably, I think they, what it said was that they had like kind of established like almost like a power trio and Benali was like the the final. I, I, so I think they kind of recorded this album and I could be wrong. You correct me if I'm wrong listeners, but um, from what, from my reading, it seems like they kind of had gone with a few different studio guys and then they kind of fell in with Benali and it was really working well. And then, um, kind of stuck with him and he was the one that kind of carried on to after the album and the, the, the small amount of touring that they did. Um, but speaking of that, seriously, like, <laughs> if you, if you cropped Hughes out of this picture, that would be a really tender picture. of Frankie Benali. If you cropped Hughes out, it would look like a save the it's date card. So bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so, it's very, it would be very incriminating. Uh, so on a technical, oh, that's just a, that picture is a riot. <laughs> on a technical level, this was uh, uh, produced by Andy John. Um, I think partially with Andy Johns and then partially with Rob Fr- uh, Fraboni. Um, Andy Johns had worked with Free, Jack Bruce, and Rod Stewart. Um, and from what I see is uh, Thrall says Rob worked on Hughes Thrall in the evening and into the night, and then during the day he was producing Bonnie Raitt's album Green Light. He's, he's more oriented towards that kind of music. We'd done probably four songs with Rob when we realized we needed to get a bigger sound. And so that is when they went with Andy Johns. He had worked with uh, Led Zeppelin and a few other things. So they, they kind of moved. So this is kind of one of those albums that, like we've seen time and again, where you've got a number of different um, musicians slender uh, on different tracks. You've got different producers. So it wasn't like one saw. I mean, the album will speak for itself, but it wasn't done as just one solid unit. Like we're all going with the same producer, the same musicians. It was very much like a work in progress. Um, and uh, yeah, we got a bunch more uh, other technical details and, and things that we can put in the show notes for you if you're interested and definitely check the, uh, the Hughes Thrall website. Uh, it's a really well done website. Very modern. I think it was it's a cherry red music or something. It's HughesThrall.com. Very easy to find. And it's a very modern, like I said, website with a lot of great info. There's, there's, you know, track listings, there's pictures, there's the musicians involved, all that sort of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah, check out that website for more info. So with that, are we ready to get into some tracks? We're ready. All right, let's do it. So this album opens on side one with... I got your number. This is a great opener. It's a real rocker. I love Thrall's guitar tone. Yeah, it sounds great. And there's uh, there's no doubt as to the decade where this is being recorded. <laughs> oh, yeah, total 80s production. But, I mean, it's like it's really good. It doesn't sound bad at all. No, no. It holds up very well, despite the fact that it's, God, 40 years old almost. It, it sounds very modern. Yeah, I mean, this is like, um, 
Wait a minute. Love this part. <laughs> Let I mean, loose. you sounds great. Um, I love that but, uh, ride yeah, symbol that's say is going like, on think, right there. It's just it's yeah. really... No, is that Benali? Um, I don't know who played on what. I didn't know if you had a list of that. Let's see. But I mean, this is like, uh, this is an example, I think, of an 80s album where you can tell that there's that 80s production. You know the era that it was made in, but it was done well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, we, we're not deep into the 80s yet. We're not like... There's a point of no return in the 80s for me, and I don't know exactly when that, where that is. It's mid to like 85, 86, where there's just no turning back. <laughs> and that's where yeah. some, some bands really lose me, unfortunately. And it gets a little quiet and little dynamics here, which I enjoy. There's some good bass by Hughes, too. Because I think it's like, you know, toward the... Um, yeah, I think it's toward the end of the verses. He does like this counter bass line, you know, against Thrall's guitar where he goes up. You know what I'm talking about, right? It almost sounds a little dissonant. Yep. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's in the chorus. So I don't know who plays drums on this, but it looks like Frankie yeah, Benali only plays drums on two of the tracks. It's funny, and he's part of the photo sessions. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they had a, they'd established that he was the one they were sticking with. And I feel like this this song would be right on I think right like at home line, on like, like a Hughes, Hughes does, solo album. Does, Do you hear that? Like during the that um uh, I think we 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 missed it where he's like um you know Hughes does that ascending bass line. He goes dun 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 Yeah, he's doing a lot of dun 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 I don't know if he's hitting like a fifth or an octave or something. He's but but um he's just really kind of keeping it very simple on that song, but really plugging along really nicely. Um that's yeah, like, I agree with you. And there's like um, some of the some of the songs do sound like in a way, like if you really listen and you know Hughes' stuff that you could be like, yeah, this sounds like it could be on Play Me Out or, um, you know, you, like you could tell his, his like his his style or his songwriting, even though now it's like drenched in 80s production, you know, mm -hmm. you can kind of still pick it out or even like even trapeze stuff, you know, which, you know, there'll be a trapeze song on here later. So. Indeed, they will. All right. So what do you think of I Got Your Number? Well, I got a number, and that <laughs> number is five. Oh, my, <laughs> my good Hi Lord. I was not, I did not right see that out of the coming. Gate. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I got to well, sit down. I mean, Why? well, I mean, I always, <laughs> you got to keep sitting down. I got to continue. Um, yeah, I always... I always really, I always really liked this song. This was like, um, did you put in the five for me? <laughs> I did. Yeah, sorry. 
Yeah, I didn't open my. We're having my technical doc issues yet. with the sound um, that is driving me absolutely crazy. We're having like, which unfortunately, oh. unfortunately, you're probably picking up on the episode where there is this, del- uh, there is a latency issue that we've had the last few episodes that's driving me bananas. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm all I'm all lost. I'm putting in your numbers for you. I I got your I, I got your number apparently. There you go. All right. Yeah. So I guess like if anybody like yeah, it's um. Unfortunately, like if it sounds like we got into that whole talking over each other thing, it's because we have like this second or two audio lag. And so it's just like it's we haven't figured it out yet. So it's it's we're we're trying. I'm trying to I'm trying to talk over you before <laughs> I'm trying to save so we can match up somehow, but I don't know how it's working. Um but anyways, um so yeah, I, I got I got your number. I got my number is five. Um, five masks. Um, five masks. All right. Five weird masks. Which mask? Like the um, demon mask, yeah, the uh, Mardi Gras mask. Yeah, you know, it's like the. I like the Hughes mask. You know. Like well, you the, could do one of each mask, but eyes. you have to leave one mask out. So, which one is it? Are you going to leave out the tiger, the weird de- demon mask? Yeah, maybe I'll leave out the weird demon mask. You know, maybe something a little heavier. We'll put it in. Yeah, that one kind of bothers um, me. Later. <laughs> but um, yeah, I always really liked this song. Like uh, for a while, it was like the only song on this album that I would like consistently listen to. Like if I was gonna in the mood for this, I'd like put this one on because it was just like I liked it. It was really heavy, and um, you know, I liked how the you know Hughes would sing a line and then Thrall's guitar would come in. Um, you know, it kind of alternate in the verses, um, I, which I thought was really cool. And like, you know, he was like ascending bass line and, you know, in the, the chorus, there was a lot of cool stuff that was going on here. And, uh, you know, he was sounding great. Like his voice sounded great. And I mean, I just, you know, I don't know if that was the synth guitar or not. Um, I, I really don't know what they sound like. I just know that synth guitars sound really eighties. And so this just did, but, um, but yeah, no, I think it's like um, overall a great song. Um, the only thing that would have brought it down, but I didn't hold it against it, was is the guitar solo was like just kind of, um, I thought it was kind of generic. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there was nothing really like wow about it. I mean, it was melodic. It was good. But I mean, it wasn't the part of the, usually I can't wait for the solo. And it was like the part of the song I'm, you know, like best. I'd be like, oh yeah, but that's, you know, probably the part that I think was, um, yeah, a little, a little whatever, but I mean, the rest of the song makes up for it. Love it. Awesome. Eight. I will give it a four. Um, I thought it also it was a really strong opener. Uh, really, really uh, dig it. It's just classic Hugh. Like I said, it sounds like it would be right at home on a Hughes solo album, which is not surprising since it was in part, at least written by Hughes. Uh, but it has that, that, that feel like of just if you pop on one of his just pick any of his solo albums at random and pop one on. And it's just that the way it kicks off and his, his vocals in particular, you're just like, yep, this is straight up Hughes. I don't know what the, what the, the split was in the writing for this song, but I'm getting heavy, heavy Hughes vibes on this one. All right. The next track is called, and this one's called the look in your eye. Um, and sometimes, 
this will appear as look in your eye in the listings, but I guess the Epic release cites it as the, the look in your eye. So it was one of those things where they had like a, it translated wrong into one of the pressings. So sometimes it gets called the wrong thing, but anyway, we're going to call it the official name, which is the look in your eye. Which actually has a much different meaning than look in your eye. So, Oh, so 80s. So is that is that guitar synthesizer? Yeah, see, I don't know. I mean, there is. I key- mean, is anybody listed as keyboards or synths? Yeah, on this, Peter or? Schles on keyboards. So that could very well be the keyboards. This is so good. I love the keyboard stabs here. Yeah. Oh, yes. This is like, oh, yeah, this this could have been right at home. And like the, the karate kid or Rocky during the training scenes or like, come on. Totally. And Hughes is like, his, he's just singing with such passion. It doesn't matter where Glenn Hughes like, was in his life or what was album. going on. His vocals are always just top of the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was ready to say that, you know, this is just like, you know, you think like he's talking about like low points in his life, but I mean, he's still like he still delivers, you know, I mean, he was like always an artist. He's never not delivered. And as we've talked about before, he's still got it at almost 70. He's still he can still sing like this. You know, other singers have had to adjust and make changes to the way they sing. He is not one of them. classic like is that like a a kiss theme like of just not doing your own thing and not wanting to anybody to I don't need anybody to tell me what to do and I mean it's not I mean kiss yeah, isn't alone like, in that theme I guess but yeah but the uh yeah that that 80s trope of like uh you know um, I'm gonna go my own um, you path know, nobody's gonna tell me what to do go going my own way yeah the, to a to a, to appeal to uh you know uh teenagers and you know whatnot Hughes and thrall probably could have used somebody to tell them how to live their life at this point but yeah. This album to me and this song is a great example has so many of the elements that I don't like about this period of music but it seems to just work really well on this album. Yeah, it's because you're you're uh, biased toward Hughes. So Yeah, yeah maybe my, <laughs> my my love for Hughes transcends my my uh, mm-hmm. lack of interest in usually this kind of style, but I, I've also come around a lot on this era. Um, the later 80s, not so much, but on this era, I, I definitely feel like a little more at home listening to stuff of this at this time.
And but you know, if you if you took the sum of the parts, or if you broke them apart and said, "Okay, Nate, I'm going to play you this song. Here's what it's going to contain." You know, the lyrics about living your life. It's going to have like this as a chorus. It's going to have these beep 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 key, keyboard stabs. All this. Here's what the keyboard's going to sound like. I'd be like, "Wow, that sounds awful." But then when you put it together and actually put this song together, I'm like, wow, I, I'm digging it. So what do you uh, what do you think about the look in your eye? Well, I'm going to look <laughs> these uh, so far. These songs are giving me like great, great fodder for my <laughs> saying my ratings. I'm going to look you in the eye All and right. tell you <laughs> that I'm giving it <laughs> that I'm giving it. Um, 4.5. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm telling you, this is my shit. This is my shit. I love this. When I'm in the mood for, I told you, when I am in the mood for this stuff, it is so good. I always like this album and I actually like, I'll, I'll admit, I cheated a little bit because when you asked me the other day, have you heard this album in a while or have, do you have it? I'm like, yeah. And I put it on because I like, not because I wanted to do homework or anything. It's because I felt like mm-hmm. listening to it. And then when I listened to it all the way through, I was just like, shit, this is like so good. Like I, mm-hmm. I knew I liked it already, but then I was like, wow, I like it even more. And I think it's because my, you know, appreciation for, uh, you know, this style of eighties rock has only gotten more since I've gotten older. Um, probably because of nostalgia factor, but I mean, you know, um, also, I mean, things like, uh, in this song, like the, um, mm-hmm. the bridge where it's just got this driving groove and then it's got the keyboard stabs in it, which I think are just like, so just typical like eighties and like, you know, you have the, the sweeping, like, you know, keyboard, um, you know, uh, thing in the background, uh, during the, uh, during the verses. And it's just, it totally sounds like this, like motivational like montage song that you would find in like you know like like a like an early 80s movie about like you know uh the the kid training for the thing like uh the silhouettes of the guy jogging on the beach and he's punching the punching bag and he's you know i mean it's all there yeah oh yeah like he's like doing pull-ups and sit-ups when he's just like i don't need (laughs) You know, he's like, you know, throw, yeah, exactly. You can like, you can picture it. You can picture it in your head. So that's like, it, you know, it, it, in addition to like that, you know, it just, it brings me back or it makes me think of that, which is nostalgic for me. But I also think it's like, again, a really well-written song, well-performed. I mean, they sound really good. You know, Hughes's vocals sound great. I mean, what's not to like? Um, there's just maybe little parts of the chorus, like the, um, there are little parts to the song that like kept me from giving it a five because I thought maybe there were, it's very minor, but you know, um, just as a, as a whole, I like the song, but there are a few parts where I feel it's a little flat, but it doesn't bother me that much to not love it. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I really like it. I think it's, uh, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a three point three point five. Is oh. a solid rating. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you it's hard. It's hard to match your your scores, but um, yeah, it's a great. Yeah, why am I liking <laughs> this more than you? I don't get it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I don't have the history with this album. I think that you do. I like. I got into this more recently. Uh, uh, mm. 
but yeah, I really dig it. And it actually, um, it really reminds me of the, do you remember that Joe Satriani album that he released like last year? That was his band from 1982 called squares. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it was released the same or was supposed to be released the same year in 1982. Um, very similar vibes. And I really loved that album a lot, too. And it, it just really reminds me of it. Just the same. It evokes a lot of the same feeling. And, you know, if you're familiar with Joe Satriani and you hear this album, it's like and I would love to cover that album on an episode someday in the future. Um, but yeah, if you're familiar with Joe Satriani, you listen to the album, you're like, this is Joe Satriani. It's very poppy, very like, like this album, but also has a lot of musicality mm-hmm. in it. So it's, it, it really reminds me of that. And I, I, I love both the albums. I really love this album too. So, all right, time to get to the next track. And that is beg, borrow or steal. Listen to that. That's like, just, that is just oh my god i love pure it so 80s and this is like the this pop- is another one you know just like jogging it jogging at dawn yep and this is the period of 80s it's like you could you could think of this as a cheesy 80s synth sound but i love this kind of 80s synth sound it's not till you get to that later like electric piano sort of stuff that really turns me off mm-hmm Oh, listen to that bass. It's so good. Again, that ride cymbal work. I don't know who's playing drums on this one, but. Mm. Yeah, see, that's very Glenn Hughes. See, it's very <laughs> oh, yeah. like it's very <laughs> melodic. You know, like, I mean, if you if you think of some of these songs, like go back like a few years and think about how he would have done it on Play Me Out, then you could just be like, yeah, okay, I could hear this is like, you know what I mean? Like you could you could just be like, how is this Glenn Hughes? But you could hear some of these songs being done in that other style, too. Yep. And I just like they have that opening like kind of keyboard melody going in the background while Yeah, there's just so much I don't know, there's so much interesting stuff going on in the song. Yeah, very interesting dynamics here and like the upbeats and what they're doing on the guitar is just great. great length on these songs too they're all com- coming in at so far four minutes or under 
They're not overstaying their welcome. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Right, right. They're just the right length. That's another good point. Kind of thought they were ramping up for a guitar solo right there, but. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, they kind of like built up and then they just kind of went back down and mellowed out a little bit. You know, the other thing I like, too, is, is that, like, you know, so far you got Pat Thrall, who, uh, you know, you hear, you know, he's like, oh, these amazing guitar players. So you think he's, you know, going to be doing all this crazy stuff on here. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, so far, kind of just hanging out in the background. Very restrained. Like, very, you know? like the, the, the thing I really love about what he's doing, it reminds me of Eddie Van Halen, which obviously he had a ton of solos, but... What Eddie Van Halen did rhythmically and what he when he was playing like the actual chords and stuff was so interesting mm-hmm. the way he phrased everything. And Pat Thrall reminds me of the same thing, just phrasing things in such an interesting mm-hmm. manner. Not necessarily mm-hmm. his guitar playing for me isn't about just shredding or doing cool solos. It seems like he's just doing things that are interesting. He's not just strumming chords or or doing things in a boring way. It's it's very, very exciting what he's doing. And again, taking it back to that Squares album by Satriani, obviously it's Satriani, so he gets some guitar stuff in there. But when you listen to it, you're like, wow, this sounds like this really great pop album from the 80s, yet no pop albums of that kind were had guitar work like that. It's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you had to beg, yeah, borrow, I, I or steal a score for this, <laughs> what would you? What would you give it? I, I like where this is going. <laughs> um, I'll. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal a four for this one. Four masks. I don't know which one. But, <laughs> Every time um, we have to pick the exactly which masks. <laughs> uh, no, I don't want. I don't. Want. <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. Let's just say four of them. Uh, <laughs> I think um, um, what so far what we're hearing on this album is that you know we, I was going to say a minute ago when we're talking about great guitar players or guitar gods, however you want to put it, or um, it, it it's not just about, I think a lot of people think like, oh, it's just about, you know, them shredding or soloing or doing like this really impressive stuff. And I don't think enough people think about it in terms of like, I mean, like what, like 90% of the time a guitar player mm-hmm. is playing yep. rhythm. They're not even playing lead. And even when they're playing lead, it's just like, it doesn't always, it doesn't always have to be flashy. Like, like um, you said, we don't know who the breakdown of the songs uh, was like who wrote how much, but it's like, like Hughes and Thrall were obviously like great songwriters, at least together. They were writing great songs. So he's a good songwriter. Like you said, he was doing a lot of interesting kind of rhythm stuff. Um, The guitar solo on the first song was uh, really kind of rhythmic. He wasn't doing anything kind of, crazy or out there. So it's like, I think that that's also the mark of a good guitar player that, you know, if you look a a little more closely, um, you, that's what you can find, you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, the, the pyrotechnics and the, I mean, just look at everybody else, um, that was considered, 
you know, legendary guitar players. Um, you know, some of their best stuff, like, um, I don't know, like, um, like some of the best stuff that, that, um, that, that Richie did was like really simple or in his rhythm mm-hmm. playing, you know, um, uh, just to, you know, keep it the purple theme. Um, I was, I don't know why I was thinking of like Eric Clapton too, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's another one has just been playing for like years and years and everything. And I mean, yeah, he could just like, you know, it's like known for wailing out the blues and all this stuff. But I mean, it's like sometimes like, I think at least when I was a kid, like one of his most, like, I guess his most famous song at the time was uh, mm-hmm. Cocaine, which was I think 76, 77 or whatever. And it wasn't even, I mean, it was just kind of like this pop rock song. He wasn't even doing anything. And I don't even think he wrote it. He didn't write know? that song? So... No, I think it was a, I think it was a cover or somebody hmm. else wrote it. I always liked that song. I was talking, we, we were driving, me and my wife were driving. Yeah. I, I think it must've been, we, we went up to uh, Michigan a couple of weekends ago and um, just determined that um, I like all songs that are about cocaine. I don't know what it is, but like every song about cocaine is like, <laughs> like, I really like, I love, I love that. I love cocaine by Eric Clapton. I love, um, what is it? Lit up by Buck Cherry. Awesome song. Great rocker. I like snow blind by black Sabbath. I've never done cocaine. Um, and I'm not planning on doing it anytime soon, but, uh, something about songs about cocaine. songs about it. I just love songs about cocaine. I don't know what it is. Uh, they they really they speak they really but, resonate and speak to me. I don't know why. <laughs> As somebody who's never done cocaine for some unknown reason. Um, um, yeah, it's great. Maybe stuff. it's that inner that inner coke uh, cocaine. Yeah, it, it, uh, it must be. Let's keep keep that out. inner and not outer. So there's one thing I I need to I need to show you. I've I'm, I've been looking at this album cover, so now this is something that's bothering me. And I'm gonna look at mm-hmm. Pat Thrall's mask on the cover. Does that remind you of something? Um, a, a long silence mm-hmm. as John looks at the mask. And this reminds me I of... feel like it does, but I don't know. This reminds me of people you see all the time yeah. that are wearing masks out in public with their big, stupid, sweaty noses sticking out of them <laughs> when they're not covering their noses. <laughs> He looks oh, like it's like true. I hope I, I, Pat Thrall seems like a pretty cool guy. I bet he's not a nose commando in real life, but uh, in this picture, strong nose commando vibes. And um, yeah, guys, if you're wearing a mask, what was just, Hughes doing? Co- cover What's... your nose. Hughes isn't mask. Hughes. Well, his oh. he looks the same, but the way that they cut his mask out, his nose is not like sticking right, right. down the same way. So it just doesn't look as as. Yeah as blatantly nose commando as, as Pat Thrall is. So just gonna, <laughs> it just makes his nose look bigger as an aside. I just had to point that out having stared at this album cover. Um, actually I was, I was making the album art for this, uh, for this episode the other night. And my son was like, that's the, that's the same album uh, from uh, downstairs in the studio. And I was like, cause he saw it over there. I was like, yeah, that's right. So they're, they're getting some early exposure to Hughes Thrall. At least the album art. All right. Good. Next <clears throat> up. So uh, well, you didn't. Well, you didn't give your rating either. Oops, I got too ca- caught up. I am giving yet. Big Bar of Steel also yeah. a four. I really like it. I like yeah. the. Um, I really like that. 
that little bass groove that that yeah, Hughes is doing. Good, good groove. Yeah, I really, really love that little. It's almost like a little breakdown for the verse. It's really, really strong. So, yeah, that's yeah, just a really another well written song. Yep, good vibes. And then next up, the track. Where did the time go? Very, very subtle See, this is- keyboard stuff going on in this track. Very of its time, but very understated. <clears throat> See, this is one that I could picture being on Play Me Out. Yeah, I can see that. See, it's really great because so far these songs have like a lot of like... Like they'll be they'll be moving along like this. This verse is like very, very mellow. You know, it's just kind of chugging along. And then when he goes into the chorus, it's just like this. These chord changes and the melody and everything just really grabs me. You know, they're just like so far. There are parts in their songs where it's like I don't know what they do, but they just like they go to this other place, which is just so good. How it's building up. And that's another thing, too. Hughes being like a virtuoso himself is not doing really a lot of crazy vocal stuff. I mean, he's just doing what he does, you know. I mean, he screamed a little bit on the first song, but yeah, he's just doing some good singing. He's doing some good bass playing. He's not trying to show off. I'm getting like a David Byrne vibe off of this song. Not this part, but like the the verse part. Mm hmm. Like that part right there was just like, just really hits you. And then the resolve, the the resolution of the chorus right there at the end, it's just perfect. (laughs) What are you laughing about? This is hard. Where did? Time. It's very hard. He's just like jumping in and out of that register like that is. I mean, of course, for Glenn Hughes, that's. that's, (laughs) Oh, yeah. He got one in there on the fade out to where did. It's very. um, Yeah, to him, that's just like, you know, it's kind of outrageous what he's doing. No, that's him getting up in the morning, walking to the kitchen, like warming up, you know, is you know, like some people whistle, you know, he's getting his morning coffee. He's like, where did the time? <laughs> and it's like everybody else would be like choking on air. And he's just like yeah, doing it seamlessly. He's making his tea. Where did the tea go? <laughs> really? Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> where did the time go? Where did it go? Uh, 
All right. Well, do you have time to rate this one? Um. Yeah. Where gonna, did Where did the time go? Where did this song go? These songs are all like really short. It's like they I'm are. Really, they, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying it. Very, very. You know, uh, quick and to the point songs. And then and again, no guitar solo, no flashy guitar solo. Maybe as you pointed out when I said no flashy vocals. Okay, there's some subtle stuff in there. When you think about it, you're like, all right, Hughes, what are you doing? So was the only <laughs> guitar solo so far on the opening track? Yeah, as um, I think I got your number was the only well, I mean, you know, just like a true guitar solo. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm not I'm not complaining, you know, because I think that these these songs are songs, you know, they're they're meant to be appreciated for that, not vehicles for uh, being instrumental, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, um, yeah, so this is, uh, <laughs> this will be my first lower rating. Um, boy, where did the ratings go? 3.5. <laughs> where did the ratings go? <laughs> so, I mean, I really love, uh, I really love the chorus, but the way, the way the song starts off always makes me kind of go like, like, uh, you know, and then it starts off a little bit slow, but when it builds up to the chorus, I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I do like a lot of the elements in the song, but um, I think it's um, it's one of the more average. Um, I, I don't know if I call it a throwaway song because I still enjoy listening to it. So I just say it's one of the more average songs of the ones we've heard so far. Hmm. All right. I am going to give it a three. I also I like it. Um, to me, it's just kind of a, you know, it's a very innocuous kind of song. Just kind of, what's that? It's there. It's there. It's just there. No, I I like it. A three means I like it. I like Mm, it. It's, I'm not, I haven't, I don't know if I have ever given anything under a three. I don't know, but I, Mm, um, I I do think so. I do like it. It's a, it's a good track. It's just, you know, it's not like there's nothing like super revolutionary about it, but all right so that brings us to the final track of side one on this album and that is the track muscle and blood oh first heavy song guitar riff Again, just riding that bell on the ride. I'm a sucker for that. Just hitting the bell on the ride symbol. Can't get enough of it. And I mean, this is like the first really rocker, not like 80 synth type sounding track, but it still fits in. Yeah, it's like the most really well. It's the most guitar driven song so far. Yeah. But I mean, I think the the um, the cohesiveness of the production um, has a lot to do with it, too. Makes it really fit in. It doesn't sound like it sticks out. It's funny that you say that because it's produced by two different guys. They kind of abandoned one of the producers and moved on to another guy, but yet the album does have a very cohesive sound to it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. There was some, like, kind of cool background stuff there from Thrall. It's got a really great clean tone on his guitar, too. What I like about these songs, besides that they're short, they're, like, to the point. They're not trying to be, like, pretentious or anything. Like, they sound, like, really simple, you know? Yeah, The bell on that ride symbol. <laughs> Nate's loving that. Tarsal was a little back in the mix. I think it feel like yeah. it could have been a little louder. Yeah, that's that's one I guess kind of criticism that I have of that is is that like his um yeah, his guitar solos are just kind of not like they're a little they're a little thin, you know, they I feel like they could have filled out a little bit more. Yeah, we're waiting like 20 minutes for him to really bust out with a solo. And then it was kind of very Meh. low in the mix. Good solo, but yeah. low in the mix. Yeah, like I think it could have been like uh, could have been produced a little bit better, mixed a little better. Reminded me of Black Sabbath that, uh. Oh, what's a Black Sabbath song? <laughs> gonna drive me crazy now. See, now his. See, his guitar fills in the end here a little more up front. And of course, you know, the song fades out, so you don't get to hear yeah. a lot of them. See, and that just proves, too, it's like, I mean, I mean, I guess it, well, yeah, I mean, at this point, you would like heard cues really just rock out. I mean, if you were like following from when he gained fame in, in Deep Purple, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Trapeze was... Um, a little experimental in the beginning, but they, you know, they did a lot of rock. Purple, you know, was mainly rock. And then he did um, his solo album, which was really a departure, really different. And then he goes back to this and it's really kind of 80s sounding, uh, you know, really poppy. And then you get this, which is really kind of probably the most hard rocking that he's been, you know, so far. And then of course you go on and do that in Sabbath. But I mean, it's like, you're already getting like a, a little bit of like all the different styles that he can do and he does them well. Like, you know, Hughes could be in any band. Yep. Man, it's really going to bother me that, that, uh, that, um, what, that, that's what sounded like it. that, uh, that black Sabbath song was like, where he like, ah! and then he, and he says like, Something like rock me, you know, like Ozzy. Oh, um, it's like, um, yeah, it was on sabotage, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's was sabotage. It like Super Zar, Super Zar, or something like that. Super not. Su- no, not Super no. That was Volume Four. 
Uh, where's Rye? Where's Rye when you need I know, him? right? <laughs> we don't have encyclopedic knowledge of this. Uh, it must be. Uh, let's see. Hang on, I know that album pretty well. So that's uh, my favorite Sabbath album. Give me a favorite. It was um, yeah, Super Super Zar. Super Zar. Yes, yes, yes. No, not Super Zar. I'm sorry because that one's like three minutes. So it was like it was either Megalomania or the Rit. Oh God! It might be the Rit because those are the two longest songs on that album. And I haven't heard that album in a while, but I know that was the one where it's like um, it you know he was like ah like suck me you know yeah it's something like one? it's something like that right. And he goes, I can barely ever make out anything Ozzy says. So as much as much of a fan as I am, I'm just like um because it was at the end of all those things it it got more and more garbled. He was just like He's like suck me. Jesus Ozzy, what the Is that what he says? Is he say suck me? I never knew if he said suck me or rock me or yeah, rock me, rock me, suck me. I don't know what he said. I mean, you know, did, did he say get the gun? And uh, who the f- get know. the gun? Shoot, 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 shoot. Friggin- <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Yeah, suck it was- me. <laughs> <laughs> suck me. <laughs> Ozzy's out of control. <laughs> and we're not. To- how do we get to, how do we start talking about? Yeah. Feel it slipping away, slipping into tomorrow. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So and it's, the, yeah. Um, that, which one was this? Which song was that's, that? That's uh, Megalomania. So oh, that's, okay, the, okay. that's the song. This, this one kind of reminded me of. Okay. And now I can't, now I can't even remember the Hughes Thrall song. <laughs> Cause I'm so fixated on that. Uh, maybe that's what, I, I know Rye really, this is his favorite song off of this album. So maybe that's why, cause of the Megalomania uh-huh. reference. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you what do you rate uh muscle and blood suck me i'm <laughs> 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 great oh if you just busted out with that <laughs> oh see this is what happens when we record late at night this is a really late one guys that's <laughs> kind of out of our minds now, yeah, now we're like halfway through the album and we're just, it's all going downhill. Yeah, it's going to be um, a rough second side of this album. <laughs> okay, so, um, or maybe good for you on the listening side. Yeah, when maybe. was the last time that happened? What was the one, like, we were having like a ball and it like, it was like a shit fest. <laughs> Which episode was, was Yeah, there was one where we were like, oh, that album, that episode was terrible. And they listened back and like, oh, it was one of our best episodes. <laughs> wow, we're, we were a riot when we were sleep deprived. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm fine now. Tomorrow is going to be rough, but okay. Muscle and blood. Uh, all right. So, um, yeah, this may come as a surprise, but I'm going to give it a three. No, oh, okay. Um, yeah, me giving the rocker on the album a three. Oh my what? goodness! Up is what? down, black is white, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely was like it was a it was a cool riff. Um, it definitely fit in with the album, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite oh, sure. that, it just like, um, you know, and I mean, this is me giving it like a, having recently given it a listen to. It's like I want to like it more than I do because it's like it's heavy and it's a rocker, but it's just like it's just missing something for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and like we were talking about the guitar solo just was like, I think that left me something to be desired too. I wish that it was, um, up in the mix or produced a little different or had a little more like, you know, balls to it. And it just, um, you know, it didn't. And uh, not that it's a bad song. It's just like, um, yeah, I think I'm just liking the pop stuff on this album a lot more. So Mm -hmm. that's fair enough. Um, I'll give it a 3.5. I kind of feel the same way about it that you do, just maybe just a little bit stronger. But um, I think it's a really good track. Uh, a good guitar solo, but again, a little bit lost in the mix. Um, yeah. Uh, and it kind of, yeah, it, it does break up a little bit. Like you said, the it's kind of got that 80s pop album feel to it. And then this one's more of a rocker, which... It still works with the album. It still blends in really well, but it's just, it's not my favorite track on the album. Um, so far, I think Big Bar or Steel might be my favorite track, but we'll see as we yeah. go on to the second side of this album. And uh, the first track on the second side is Hold Out Your Life. This is a kick-ass groove. That's so good. Listen to that. See, now this is another one. That part right there, that could have been on Play Me Out. Oh, yeah, when he does one of those like little intros that completely yes. get you in the yep. wrong idea what the song's going to be, that totally turns it around. Yep. yep, exactly. That's exactly what it made me think of. I think that's a mark of like a good, like, you know, in this case, a good Hughes song is is like you can like hear that and be like, yeah, I can hear him doing it in that other style. But I'm really enjoying this. Love the guitar line. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, he's got a really good uh, thrall has a really good clean tone. Leaving some breathing space in the verses. such dynamics too like you know ramping up that high and then just like kind of pulling it down (laughs) like I'm really liking the the dynamics of the playing of this album like where they really like build up to something and then they just are like and then they go kind of quiet you know they go kind of mellow yeah, and you don't really hear dynamics like that much in, in more modern music. No. no and, not trying to be one of those guys like, ah, the music today, but like, but. <laughs> but but you're being one of those guys that's like, music No, there's today. a lot of, there's a lot of music that's come out within the last year that I really love, but mm-hmm. it's just, it's refreshing to hear something where you can see the, the dynamic differences throughout the course of the album and the songs. 
And I mean, there are there are a few a uh, few recent episodes of Pot of Thunder where they've said the same exact thing, and I can feel that like on a lot of this earlier stuff. That. That part is crazy. Is he using a delay or something on that? That's another thing. You haven't had Glenn like uh, do a lot of his uh, a lot of his screams uh, in this. He's uh, very sparing with them, which is kind of kind of nice. Makes you look forward to it, or makes you uh, like really dig it when you know he does it. He's holding back and like. You're just waiting for him to just belt something out that's just like blows your head off. Now this really makes me think of speaking of Satriani or Vi, like really that style of solo here. Ripping solo. Yeah, it was fantastic. And this is Frankie Benali, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course, he pulled. He he busted that out. Space. This is one of the first. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this the, the, I think for the first one where where Thrall really let loose, and um, yeah, yeah. I should have brought up earlier that Benali was on the drums, um, bastard. But <laughs> <laughs> but real really uh, good track. Yeah, no, it's um, I I really I really enjoyed that. I like uh, um, lost <laughs> my train of thought. <laughs> oh god damn it, um. No, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it, and uh, like we were, um, well, let's let's we'll go into the ratings and we'll talk about it. So I'll I'll hold on to my ratings. I'll hold. You're hold, hold on, on to my like until when? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to my ratings until I'm ready to let them go. Until where where did the time go? I'm, I'm holding on to my rating. Look um, in the eye and give me your number. Um. I'm going to give a 3.5. Um, I really like this song. Um, another one that I feel is like, um, I would say average to above average. Um, um, I I love that, that groove that we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, that Thrall does on the guitar and uh, he was letting out a couple of vocal things that he was holding back on. Um and uh, yeah, I thought the the guitar solo was definitely a ripping guitar solo. Finally, we got yep. one. Um, although I have to say again, um, I just think that it's a problem for the whole album because, like, um, just a you know spoiler alert, like uh, there's there's really nothing, there's no guitar solo on the album where I was just like, wow, 
Yeah. And I think it was, and I don't think it's because Thrall isn't a good player. I just think that it wasn't produced the way that I like to hear a solo. You know, I like to hear really kind of like, you know, a, a big, thick, like up front in the mix kind of solo. And uh, these were really more, I, I don't know, like, I don't know, just really high range, like not up front in the mix type of solos. So it's like, you know, even though they were good, you know, they, they didn't do it for me like all the way. So, but yeah. still good stuff. Good stuff. I can hear that. Um, I will also give this one a 3.5. I really like that verse part and the, the, it's not even really a riff. It's just kind of that, the way that he's syncopating that against the rhythm or what yeah. I probably, I'm probably using those words incorrectly, but, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. It just, it just, it's really got a great groove to it. And I really like it. Um, and I think it's a great solo, but like you said, produced a little, it's a little higher in the mix than the previous solo, but not quite as, yeah, there's something about where it doesn't cut through the same way that you'd really expect a solo to cut through. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of weird, you know, like, um, um, you know, Pat Thrall being, a, you know, this, uh, touted as this great guitar player and it's like, you know, his parts didn't really you know i don't know if that's maybe how we wanted well, it shows to great or... restraint too like he's playing to the song he's not just trying to just get there and show off on every song which is i really respect yeah well no it's not even about the playing you know it's about just how how it sounds how it came out on record which mm-hmm. um i don't know like i said maybe that's what he was going for maybe like who knows if he had to go back and change it would he have made it a little you know, more full or, you know, whatever, maybe, but you know, that's, it's my personal preference Mm -hmm. anyway for solo. But, but I mean, the rhythm work I love, I think it's really full and like, you know, I love the, the tone on it, uh, the sound that he's getting at his rhythms, you know. It's one of the um, first song or one of the only songs, maybe the only song I haven't been keeping a tally, but that ended with an ending and not a fade out. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, the next track up is Who Will You Run To? Oh, here we go. That, that bell. Riding that bell. Love it. Another 80s movie soundtrack motivational <laughs> theme song. Look at that bass in the background. This is like, no, that that chorus is totally like, 
Survivor or like, you know, something like that. It's like total like 80s. Like, I, I know I'm like a broken record, like this 80s motivational <laughs> chorus, like this, like this whole album could have been like, uh, like they could have, so they could have sold the rights to it to like be a soundtrack in a movie or yeah. like a TV show or something. Yeah, the entire album. Well, except for the next song. <laughs> and I mean that, and I mean that as the highest praise, like yeah. a bunch of songs from this could have just been in like, you know, so it's so good. the layering of his vocals jeez okay see that sounded a little bit more like what I was talking about I still feel like it, it felt like the mic was set back from the cab or whatever. Like it, it didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't in my face. And that's maybe that's what they were going for. But still, another, another, uh, you know, guitar solo that didn't take up too much time and, you know, just kind of went back into the melody. Yeah, this is just like. To me, this is, I don't really know much about Pat Thrall, but it sounds, from what I know of him, it sounds like he's really holding back. And that, I I, I think that's complimentary about him. Because honestly, those albums where you like get some virtuoso player in or some guitar rock legend and they just get in there and just shred like a madman through the whole album. Like that's, that would be so tiresome and would make this, it would cheapen this album so much. And you've got somebody here who seems to really know how to play for the song and really know how to write good songs and not just show his flash throughout the entire album. And I mean, you know, you probably qualify. We have to qualify too, that it's like, I mean, um, I like, I admit I didn't then, nor do I now, even know like who the hell Pat Thrall really is. You know, it's not like we're talking about Ingbe or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I mean, I don't know if like he's supposed to be a shredder. It's just like, you know what I mean? It's like anytime I heard any, like Eddie Van Halen or something like that, it's just like, they were just like, Oh, he's just a really good guitar player. And I mean, that doesn't really, doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's just like, um, you know, probably, you know, if we did some research on him, they'd just be like, yeah, he played in a ton of bands and wrote good songs and, like, is a great, like, you know, does great rhythm and melody or anything. So it's like, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I I know <laughs> I know boo about Pat Thrall. <laughs> so it's just like, so, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we're, like, dumping all over the guy or, like, um, uh, when, we're, when we're saying, like, oh, he's not doing this or doing that or anything like that because it's like I never thought that he was like a shredder type or anything it's just that you know all the things that i ever heard about this album was is that it's just like oh hughes is doing this album with pat thrall and i'm like oh he's gotta be he's gotta be really good you know um it is just one of those things um so actually like i probably should have done it before the episode after the episode or 
maybe tomorrow because I'll be in bed. Um, I'll uh, kind of read up on them a little bit and see what's what. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, winning the awards that he won and the recognition that he won for being like the best new talent and all that. Clearly, he's got the chops, but mm-hmm. he's I think it's a huge and definitely not dumping on him in any way. In fact, it's to me, it's complimenting him. The fact that he could be on an album with a or uh, we're like six tracks in and he's only had three solos. So definitely shows some really strong restraint. And like I said, good songwriting. And that's, that's to me shows how great he is. It's somebody, it reminds me of somebody like Vivian Campbell being in Def Leppard and taking a backseat to Phil Collin, who is, you know, on every level, uh, technically not as good, not a strong player, (laughs) but he knows how to, how to play for the song and to, to do what he's, what he's supposed to do and that's great to me is uh, again i think if you had if he was just here just doing sweep arpeggios over all this stuff it would it would it would suck it would totally cheapen Mm, it and yeah yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be good at all so that's not what you want just because you can doesn't mean you should and he's doing a really great job of holding back so there you go so john who will you run to when you rate the song (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm having um. I don't know why I thought that was so funny. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that funny. <laughs> it's like who who will I run to? Um, I'm having oh man, I I have to think about it for a second. Um, you know I think I think I have to run to another three point five. Um, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a. Like all the songs are great. It's a great song. It's strong. Um, I'm really loving the, I think in all these songs, the one thing that's pretty clear to me is the, the choruses are the ones that grab me like the bridge and the chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, they got some really strong choruses. Um, and that's what I like about this one because like, it, it reminds me of like, uh, I can't, I can't think of it like a, not not the survivor in particular, like Eye of the Tiger, but that kind of chorus. Um, oh, it was, there was a there was a song in the uh, one of the Rocky soundtracks. What the heck was it called? It's gonna now. This is just like you with the Sabbath one. It's gonna drive me crazy. <laughs> right. Um, we might have to come back to it. Suck me. Which, um, <laughs> <laughs> Our uh, no, it's like, our, um, our lag seems to have improved because you're laughing quicker after after my amazing funny jokes. So. Your your quips, <laughs> um, your amazing quips. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, is um, uh, what is it? It's um, which no 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 easy way out. No easy way out from Rocky Four. Oh, there's no yep. easy way out. Yep. Da, 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 da. And that's what this kind of reminds me of. And I mean, I, I, you know, I, I love that song and I love songs like that because it's got like, you know, maybe whatever the, you know, chord structure is or the melody of it is just has that kind of like, you know, inspirational, like uh, uplifting type of feeling. Like when you hear it, you know, it's kind of like when you play like a, like a minor scale, you feel sad. You hear Mm -hmm. a major scale, it's like, oh, happy, you know? And so I think it's like whatever the musicality is in that that's how it hits me so 
There you go. All right. I will also give it a 3.5. And uh, again, another really solid song, really well done, well produced, nice solo in it, really enjoying it. Um, okay. Brings us on to the next song, which is uh, No uh, no Stranger to Us, which is Coast to Coast. And Hughes says about this, I wanted to give it another stab. It's such a great song. We thought Hughes Thrall were going to have a lot of success stateside, and I wanted Coast to Coast to get some airplay over there. I've got to say it's pretty faithful to the original yeah but you know what I um I, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert I really don't like this version really yeah I mean you know how much I love this song yep but I really think that this loses something in the translation like I, this is another one I really want to like it, but I, this version just like it, it, it just loses something for me. I don't think it translates well to this era. Yeah, so this would be ten years after the original was recorded. Yeah. I mean, I find it to be so similar. Yeah, but you know what? It really it is, but it loses something because like that melody line that Mal um, Mal uh, Mel Galley played in the original yeah. is is like, and I'm not saying that Pat Thrall had to duplicate it, but I mean for me that's what made the song, and he yeah. doesn't do it at all here, and that's he loses me. Okay, because now I just feel like he's noodling around. Like, it doesn't have the same emotion as the first one. I just, like, to me, when I hear Coast to Coast, I hear that early 70s production, you know, really intimate, whatever, with all the echo and all the other stuff going on here. It's just, like, it's not what I want from this song. And I'm sad to say that because I really want to like the new, the, the new version, the updated version. I mean, it's interesting that they decided to to do it again. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can get it from like a marketing standpoint now that you said that Hughes said that they wanted to, you know, maybe thought it was like, um, I mean, it is a great song and maybe he's just like so attached to it. He's like, yeah, like this one could, you know, give us some exposure. So let's do it rather than just do all originals, like do one, like, I guess, trapeze cover. Well, Glenn Hughes says that most people didn't know this was a trapeze song. Most people think it's a Hughes thrall track. Because I guess this got more radio play. 
Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, um, yeah, the playing is good. Hughes sings great. It's another like here I go again situation. Like, like let's just it's although that one's even stranger because it's the same band. But this <laughs> it, it's to me, it's always weird when you just take a song and like, yeah, we're going to just record that again on a different album. Like, yeah, it's like, haven't you already done that? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still Coast to Coast. And what do you rate this version of Coast to Coast? Because I believe you gave the original one a five. Yeah. Well, the this version, I'm going to give it a three. Wow. Um, okay. Um, and I mean, that's, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to give it any lower than a three because that would mean that I have a problem with it to like a great degree. Like, I mean, it's still like, I mean, I love the song and... I, I like the, you know, like the playing and everything. Like I said, there's like, technically there's nothing wrong with it, but I mean, I think it, it just kind of, um, it, it depends on what, you know, you want from the song, you know, and my version of the song has always been the trapeze one. And I really like, I strongly feel that it, it lost something in translation. I think that they should have just left well enough alone. Like Hughes couldn't, he couldn't improve on it. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, it is like his, he sings great and he sounds good and everything, but it's like, he, he can't match the performance on the original one. And a lot of like, you know, Mel Galley's guitar tone on the original and like the, the, the melody he did for the solo, uh, like that's what did it for me. And that's what was lost here um, on it. So it, it, like, it didn't have that, like the charm of the original is what I liked. So um while technically nothing wrong with it, like I did not feel it. Yeah. Right. So um, that is why. Fair enough. I will give it a four because I still think it's, yeah, I really like it. It's coast to coast. I would rank, I don't remember what I ranked the original one, but I'm sure it was probably higher than that. Might have been mm-hmm. a 4.5. I don't think I gave it a five, but um, to me, it's, so similar to the original, I don't really understand why or to why bother redoing it. But it's, you know, like it it doesn't it, it doesn't really add anything to it. Like you said, it only kind of takes away some of the things that might have been there in the in the original. And I mean, you could look mm-hmm. like if you compare it to like here I go again. I mean, you could look at it very similarly. That's also very similar to the original, but. They do take it in kind of a different direction or do something a little bit fresh with mm-hmm. it. And with this one, I think it's just kind of mostly here. We are doing like the same song again, even though it's different guys. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but still, I uh, still a very strong song. So. Which yeah. takes us no, still a great song. Yeah. And that takes us to the last song, which is the first Step of Love. This is, I believe, the longest song in the album. Five and a half minutes. Jeez. Crazy stereo panning on those toms. 
the way that um they're hitting those like those little splashes reminds me of like Roxanne, like police. Hmm. Coming in like ahead of the beat. <laughs> uh, you're not sublime. <laughs> Definitely building a mood. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Whoa. What were you we saying oh, earlier about him not, not really letting loose? <laughs> Here he goes. <laughs> that guitar work is incredible. Oh, there we go. I think they saved it all for the last song. Bring it back. That's the dynamic shift that we keep talking about. You just it just has like a strong police vibe, and this is Frankie Benali on this one too. This is the other song yeah. that he did. Yep. No, wait. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it is this one. First step of your love. Yep. What the hell Pat Thrall is doing here, but it's awesome. <laughs> He's doing some fast finger work back there. I don't know if there's a delay involved, but either way, it's really cool.
There we go. hanging with that little symbol ringing in the distance. You know, that was like, you could tell in the beginning of that, like that was the closing track. Mm-hmm. That was a good track to close on too. Yep. Like it was I, like everything about it, like screamed perfect closing track. Right. Yep. Um, and it almost had this epic feel to it without it being this seven, eight minute long song. Right. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it's five and a half like minutes I, for like an epic ending song is not crazy at all. I could they could have yeah. stretched that into something way more, and they showed like through this whole mm-hmm. album they showed a lot of restraint. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think it was um, um, good songwriting. Mm-hmm. I, I you know uh, I just think. You know, it it looks to me like they, you know, however they did it, they're like, okay, we're going to be, we're going to be concise. We're going to do these like, you know, shorter, catchy songs, no BS, no all this, you know. Um, and I mean, who knows if like maybe it was, uh, you know, uh, conscious on Hugh's part or if he wanted to like stretch things out like he did in, um, in um, Play Me Out but maybe in a band situation like, you know, he did with purple or maybe here, you know, he had somebody else to kind of tighten it up or if there was on purpose, but either way, I mean, the, the results on, and you know, these songs were great because even this a five and a half minute long song, it didn't feel long, but it felt like an epic song that could have been long. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, perfect closer to the album and had that feel to it. So for sure. All right. So what do you rank the first step of love? Well, the first step is to rate the song. (laughs) That is definitely the first step. (laughs) It was the first step of rating the song is to tell is to tell you the rating. And um, I feel like these were a lot better in the beginning. <laughs> they, no, and they were trying to make it fit. They were a lot better in the beginning, and they weren't even that good back then. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm just trying to force it in. Exactly. It's like my, you know, it's just like you know. I think I got your number was probably the best one. It's like I got a number, and it's fine. And then know? it was all downhill from just, there. <laughs> and then it just after it, it's just like ah, oh, this sucks, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> um. All right, the first step of love. Um, I give um, a 3.5, um, despite everything I said, <laughs> which made it sound like I would give it a five, a five or something. Um, I, I think it's a great closing track, uh, really heavy. And I think that they left it all like on the floor when they left. Like, I think they just saved up all of their stuff for the end. Like, 
cues and his his vocal acrobatics and uh, you know thralls fast finger work under the the chorus and then he you know had this like really like probably the closest thing to a shred solo in there like um mm-hmm. yeah it had dynamics it had everything yeah um just something about it didn't hit me in the gut the way that maybe the first few songs did I, and I think that's a kind of a theme with me too. If you think about some of the albums that we listen to is, is like the, maybe like the first side or the first like three or four songs I'm like really hot on. And mm-hmm. then it just kind of, just kind of dips, you know, and I don't know if that's how I am with albums or, you know, if that's just how, you know, maybe this is just the really top heavy album. Like the, the best tracks are like right out front. Um, but this was still definitely another good one and really appropriate end it off all right i give it a four i really liked it thought it was a strong closer to the album really great energy um yeah just really liked it nice all right so how does hughes thrall stack up in our exhaustive list of albums here i know so let's see I shall see. All right. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm you saying, do that. <laughs> I'm seeing where it stacks up. Um, let me see. It stacks up. Uh, it's right along. Well, I guess we can just. Where the hell is it? It's, it's right between Fireball and Dawn Explosion. Oh, there it is. So in good, it's slightly ahead of Play Me Out. What do you mean now? You're taking my job. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, you were. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were lost. (laughs) I I am lost, but I'm still pissed. No, go ahead. You can, because I I still can't. You still can't find it? Oh, there I go. I found it. No, I found it. I found it. I think the mistake that I made was not looking at the rating before I sorted it. Because I'm an idiot. Um, Yeah, so you were saying? (laughs) I was saying it is is smack between Fireball and Dawn Explosion. And just a little Mm. bit ahead of Play Me Out, which is right behind Fireball. Mm-hmm. So if you looked at it, it's it's straight in the middle. If you look at it, it's got Play Me Out, Fireball, Hughes Thrall, Dawn Explosion, and Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. And this is smack in the middle, and they're all basically almost the same score. Wow, that's funny that it's so close to Hughes' solo album. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it's funny that we find so, and it's it's a it's just kind of a coincidence because it's just numbers, you know. Yep. But it's like some of these you know, we'll be like, oh, wow, look, this comes like right next to this album, which seems to make sense. It's like, it's kind of weird, you know, how it makes sense. Um, But yeah, Hughes Thrill gets a 7.39. Our variance was only 0.06%. So we pretty much like the album the same. I I liked it a little bit more than you. Um, I think because I gave it some heavy ratings at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But... But yeah, it's in it's in good company. It seems to be like right in the right in the middle of our ratings in terms of you know how much we like, you know, um, our favorite albums. I mean, you know, so. when you sort our spreadsheet this way from from bottom to top, 
And um, I've had a few people reach out to me to want to get copy, uh, like want to have access to looking at our spreadsheet. So I'll have to figure out a way we can actually share this with people. Um, But uh, (laughs) um, classified. But, you know, at first I remember like I had no intention of ever like rating songs and you had come in with like, oh, we should rate them. And so we started doing that. And I was like, well, I don't know if really the the ratings really give an accurate representation of how you feel about the album. But now when I look at this and I look at like albums I would want to throw on and listen to and I look Mm -hmm. at this list, I'm like, yeah, this pretty much I mean, as Sometimes it could come across like we're being too harsh on an album because of maybe some of the songs we think of as filler or whatever it is. But when I look at this list and I look at where this falls with Play Me Out and Fireball and Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, I'm like, yeah, this I could I could see this kind of being in the in that same ballpark. And then when I look down the list or up the list, I think kind of the same way, like yeah, that might be an album that I'm less likely to put on or more likely to put on. So it works pretty well, even though it doesn't right. it doesn't always tell the, right. the full story. But yeah, I mean, it's not like uh, I always say like, a, you know, tomorrow or a week from now or next year feel differently about these songs. I mean, I know I did when I first bought this album. I didn't like all these songs this much. Mm-hmm. You know, it took years of you know, my, my musical tastes changing or maybe my attitude toward this album changing or even like not listening to it for a long time. For me, that's been really the biggest thing for appreciating albums. Like I put on uh, this, this album, this CD when I was younger and then not listening to it for a long time because it didn't really, you know, hit me or it wasn't a lot of stuff on it or whatever. And then I hear it later and I'm like, whoa, there's all these like great, things on here and these elements and everything from either hearing more of that artist stuff or from just hearing more others like music in general and, you know, kind of enjoying that style more. Like I said, a lot of these, you know, is, um, um, you know, the, the, the melodies and like the songs and the choruses are really, um, you know, they evoke, you know, nostalgia in me because they're really nostalgic sounding for the, you know, period that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's that kind of like, you know, movie soundtrack and everything. And then your mind links to it. So it's like, yeah, I like the, you know, Rocky and Karate Kid and, you know, all those type of movies. And that's what this makes me think of. So of course, you know, that's why, you know, uh, advertisers and everything, they, you know, will make so much money off nostalgia because, and they use it in advertising and stuff like that is because they know that if they hit that, you know, that thing in you, you know, that's what's going to draw you to it. And, you know, it's the same for, you know, music. And luckily this isn't trying to be retro. It's just, that's when it was produced. And I think that it, you know, was really successful in what it, you know, tried to do. Like, um, it's weird because for me, like this album is something that, um, and I don't say it about a lot of albums, but I would like, I feel like this album was meant to be listened to as a whole, as an album. Like I could listen to this whole album. Well, it's album-oriented like, rock like, for skip sure. Tr- yeah, I, like even now, I mean, like you know, album-oriented rock. You know, um, notwithstanding, there's a, like a lot of albums I'll jump around, or I'll listen to a track, or you know, I'll put on playlists or whatever. But I feel like all the songs on this album, like 
like uh, when I think of this album, I think of listening to all the songs, um, even the ones I don't like as much um, mm-hmm. or as much as the other ones. So, but yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's great. I think it's a great effort. I'm glad that we revisited it. And then I did because I've neglected it for far too long. Yeah, definitely a great, a great listen. All right. So that was Hughes Thrall and just wrapping it up. I'll have a bunch of stuff in the show notes. We're running pretty long tonight. So um, just to wrap it up, uh, the album got some kind of mixed reviews. It got a lot of praise from critics, but it didn't get a ton of sales. And Hughes said that they kind of blamed that for the fact that they were the two of them were both battling some pretty serious drug addictions at the time. And then they kind of, they played, they were opening for Satana, uh, Satana, Santana, Satana, um, and Satana, Satana. They had Jesse Harm, uh, Harms on keyboard with them, uh, who had been part of Sammy Hagar's backing band. Um, and again, he said that they were, him him and Pat Thrall were to blame. He says, if Pat and I had been really on the money, I've no doubt we would have gone on to huge success with huge Thrall if we'd been teetotalers. Uh, as I am now and have been for many years, with no drinking, no drugging, no anything, it would have been different. So obviously two guys dealing with some pretty serious addictions at the time. Um, and yeah, uh, it just kind of never... They, they did tour a little bit um eventually claude chanel would come on and take over on keyboards and he was uh with them uh during this time um and then eventually uh, hugh says claude was in the band when we started to make demos for the second record but we never really completed them we were sort of falling apart we were also working with tommy bullen's old drummer mark cranny cranny is it cranny might have been cranny um he passed away from uh, diabetes and kidney kidney failure poor failure Poor fella. But I like Claude. He's sort of a John Lord type character. Uh, these days, Glenn Hughes is philosophical about what might have been. Hughes Thrall had a short lifespan. It was extremely short. But I'm glad we were embracing the records again now. So that's pretty much it. Uh, they did do some stuff after that, um, which I we talked about kind of getting into on a bonus not a bonus episode but a follow-up episode talk you know they've they did some videos for this they did some other stuff they did some soundtrack work and definitely stuff that's uh both amusing and (laughs) worth uh diving into on a separate episode um but again there was there was some talk about a follow-up project um in 2006, a follow-up album was announced, but it never materialized. And in 2009, Hughes was quoted as saying, I've put the Hughes Thrall 2 project behind me. We started the album in 1997, and Pat Thrall wanted to produce it by himself. Ten years to produce an album? I usually take no more than six months. Let's move on with our lives. So Hughes had kind of had it with that, I guess. And looks at this point, like a Hughes Thrall follow-up is not in the works, sadly. Be interesting to see what it would sound like uh, being released now. Mm. Yeah, but there you have it, Hughes Thrall, their one and only album to date. Who knows what will happen? Maybe they'll do a 
an album over Zoom or something. That, that would be fantastic. Uh, Dead Daisies won't be getting out there until next year. So uh, maybe Hughes will have some downtime. Mm. You never know. But at any rate, that is the Hughes Thrall album. You know, let us know what you like, uh, what you like about it, and what you think about it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those great places that you can converse with us. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed listening to this album. A lot of fun. Great stuff. And uh, we'll leave you there. And until next week, we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. <laughs> such, such a rockin' song.